we take a few moments as we sit with the beautiful sound of our cantor's voice and the beautiful color and the words from our tradition. 2,000 years ago, the great Rabbi Hillel posed three questions. If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? But when I am for myself alone, what am I? And if not now, then when? In no Akshad, in my time. From Pierre Rose. Hillel lived when Jerusalem was occupied by Rome. It was a time of great disruption. How could the Jewish world survive? and gravely aggressive power. Today we might ask similar questions. Are Jews alone to defend ourselves? And if the answer is yes, then what becomes of us? And is it time to act now and bring others in? Hillel witnessed hatred towards the Jews. We would call this anti-Semitism. Yet, this isn't a sermon about anti-Semitism. It's about anti-anti-Semitism. When Deborah Lipset, the first appointed United States Special Envoy for monitoring and combating anti-Semitism, addressed the public, she asserted, I am here to depress you. Because the exponential rise in anti-Semitism in the last six years, even, is depressing. We've seen blatant violence against Jews captured intentionally on social media as a proud act. We've heard an overabundance of specious arguments attacking Israel with anti-Semitic rhetoric disguised as anti-Zionism that is rampant on college campuses where students are made to choose between their commitment to Israel and their opposition to oppression. We've witnessed a witness synagogues under siege by terrorists, hewing slurs about Jewish power and control. And white supremacists marching and chanting, Jews will not replace us. This is all why Ken Burns set up production of his powerful documentary on the Holocaust in America, pressing to show its meaning because our present history is too resonant with the past with all kinds of hate and cold views. What happened to George Washington's promise to give bigotry no sanction to persecution no assistance when he wrote the Jews of Newport, Rhode Island? When Jews arrived on these shores, fleeing the persecution they had endured for centuries across the world, they found a country well-practiced in othering and mistreatment Slavery was already an unfortunate reality. And if you ask people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, their 60s, 50s, 40s, and so on, you will hear of bullying and bias, schoolyard corners, and exclusionary behaviors they endured simply because they are Jewish, because hatred of Jews and so many others is unfortunately deeply embedded still in America even and despite the success of many. 
Not until the 19th century was the word anti-Semitism invented to describe heinous treatment towards Jews. It was just, up until that point, baseless hate of scapegoating, violent othering, and destructive denigration to place Jews in peril. It still is. But why? What was it about Judaism that made it so detestable? Right to become the object, object, a deleterious, irrational conduct. What did Jews do to earn the heinous actions pointed upon us? Nothing. Let me repeat that. Nothing. We are not guilty or responsible for anti-Semitism. Period. Deborah Lipstadt declares it is time to get college courses on anti-Semitism out of Judaic Studies Department and into the mainstream, confining it creates an implicit expectation that the problem and the solution belongs to Jews. The roots of hatred should be probed everywhere. We may think Hillel's first question is the only way. If I'm not for me, then who's going to be for me? In if we don't defend ourselves as Jews, who will? So why is it up to the Jewish community to eradicate anti-Semitism? In ancient times, the Roman authorities, led by Pontius Pilate, had a brutal remedy for Messianic figures who threatened their dominance, causing great pain and suffering through crucifixion. Jews did not engage in this practice. Many were probable victims. Yet the false association between Jews and the crucifixion traveled a straight line for almost two millennia. Not until the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s was the specious accusation that blamed Jews for the death of Jesus repudiated by the Catholic Church. Yet the seed that sowed that falsity grew into many vines that wrapped around the world and imprinted the minds of millions, making it very hard to uproot. And it spread through society, communities, and professions. Moments in history are held like hot coals that become seared into the way people see the world. It is a persistent legacy in today's world. Hate is hate is hate, just as much as love is love is love. We are not to blame. None of us. But what are we to do? What can we do that is more than being reactive to anti-Semitism when it happens? Because if we are lo- alone in combating hate, then what becomes of us? Not What would be a proactive approach that brings others in? At Yad Vashem, the heart-wrenching Holocaust memorial exhibit in Jerusalem, you are greeted by a row of trees, each representing a righteous Gentile who saves the Jews. Their bravery and courageous legacy inspire our admiration. Many Jews survived because of them. We are grateful knowing that when the world looks away, they took action and risked their own lives. Some who are honored there jumped into the fray, not necessarily thinking rationally. Others may have given agonizing consideration, recognizing that they were endangering themselves and their families. 
and so others did it knowing it was a righteous act to save a life, while others knew they were saving Jewish lives for purposes. All these are virtuous and moral reasons, all share one fact. They are not Jewish. When most of the world turned its back on the strategic and premeditated annihilation of the Jewish people, these brave souls felt compelled to turn towards them. So many other people in every country the Nazis occupied were Hitler's willing executioners. That the conduct of those along that memorial avenue seems almost miraculous. The rabbis of the Talmud understood hundreds of years ago that to save a life, save the world. The opposite is true as well. Ending a life ends a whole world. These righteous individuals ensured that many worlds would endure. What motivated them? What pushed them to stand up and to reach out with the greatest gift imaginable? To save a life. Here, say that again. In a place where there is no humanity, strives to be a human. A midrash compares Noah and Abraham and asks whether both are righteous. Each lived in a time of wickedness. In Noah's time, a kind of evil motivated callousness in the way people acted toward one another. When Abraham lived, there were Sodom and Gomorrah, cities filled with iniquity. When God informed each person about God's plan for destruction, Noah said nothing. He did what he was told. Abraham, to the contrary, not only questioned God, but also challenged the assumption that there were no righteous among the inhabitants. It is for this reason that the Midrash teaches that we descend from Abraham. Noah may have walked with God, but Abraham walked before God as a light leading the way. The way people respond now. Stepping up and taking action counters indifference. The Torah explains if you see your fellow Israelites off or sheep gone astray, do not ignore it. You must take it back to your peers. Rabbi Daniel Hartman calls this the first act of decency. We have the obligation register that we must help one another. When Cain, after killing his brother Abel, asked God, Am I my brother's keeper? The evil was not just murder. It was not terror. The Torah offers us a universal principle from within our community. We are active participants in the struggle for humanity. During the Holocaust, as individual Jews and Jewish organizations in the U.S. and elsewhere mobilized to save as many as possible, they welcomed many others who sought to help them. Diplomats like Varian Fry and Kiuni Sugihara, there's a family here today, by the and Raoul Wallenberg saved thousands by using their positions to get to us. Caring and righteous compassion transcend across time and space. The rabbis of the Talmud believe it's true. Jewish tradition holds that there are at least 36 righteous people in the world at any given time. Some say 18,000. If we believe that there are these righteous among us, 
including some of our own people for sure, and amidst the diverse population of humanity, and all is not lost. What makes this profound is their righteousness comes from their ability to see the sacred potential in each person. They projected the goodness away from themselves onto the souls they rescued and helped. They showed by their lives that no one can be for themselves alone. For when we are alone, how can we even exist? We need the loving protection of others to ensure our lives. Anti-Semitism is a universal problem, not a Jewish one. A moral failure that demands a call for decency. And there is more. Hate cannot be said because of the color of one's skin, identity, status, ability, or faith, even though it has. Together we must remove the idea that as long as we are whom we are, there will be hate. That's an unproductive pessimism. Let's put the hate back on the haters. And let's focus our attention on those who work to repair and to create environments of respect and decency. Those who look straight into the eyes of a human being and believe in their humanity. They are the righteous ones. They are what sustains the world. We need a Genesis cry for them, or maybe it should be an Exodus cry, because these righteous ones is exiled hate and anti-Semitism with kindness, identity, and bravery, just like so many did in the Exodus story. When our elected leaders speak out and announce legislation against anti-Semitism, when 800 members of the clergy in the greater Boston area sign a petition pledging to eradicate hate against Jews, when we meet people like Eric Ward, who spoke to our congregation about his work demonstrating the intimate connection between white supremacy and anti-Semitism, when our sister congregation Bethel and J.C., teaches a course about anti-Semitism and Christianity, when Beacon Academy resided in our building until they outgrew us, had 16 years of classes of students call Temple Israel their home, and studied anti-Semitism through the Jason History curriculum, when ADL and JCRC developed a nurture relationship with the greater community, when we at Temple Israel of Boston recognize and foster relationships in every direction with communities that surround us. Then, all of these exemplify the potential for righteous individuals and groups to embody the possibility that together we can rise up and eradicate anti-Semitism and all kinds of hate and bigotry. All those we engage are independent agents we need to name them, praise them, award them, and do everything possible to let them know how much it means to us in the Jewish community that they care for them. We need to speak honestly, openly, and transparently with our friends, neighbors, and colleagues to not only share with them the harm of the experience of anti-Semitism, but also praise, encourage them, and ask them to speak out and to act and to 
to act to eliminate the insidious nature that emboldens anti-Semitism and the hate that underlies it. Hatred of any kind is learned. Together we can help the world unlearn anti-Semitism and relearn tolerance, acceptance, love, and compassion. Imagine what that would feel like. We can make it so. Around 2,000 years ago, the great Rabbi Hillel asked, If not now, then when? In Ein Achshav, Ein Nachshav. It is an urgency that includes every one of us. Let's get to work. Can you do that, friends?